If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company and plenty to come. We'll get to Mark Latham, the independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament very shortly. His first appearance on the program for 2024, but he will be here Mondays during the year. And we look forward to that as he kicks off our discussions, not just uh, from Australia, but also internationally. He's got a great, great understanding of global politics and in particular American politics as well. And it is a presidential election year. I want to talk about Donald Trump on that subject. Trump said today, Joe Biden had left the globe on the brink of World War III after a drone attack on a base in Jordan killed three US troops. The former president rounded on his successor in a ferocious tirade following Sunday's incident, which the White House blamed on Iran-backed militants operating in the Middle East. This brazen attack on the United States is yet another horrific and tragic consequence of Joe Biden's weakness and surrender, Trump said in a statement. And it is. He's right. Before you start talking about the fact that he's trying to uh, grab what has just gone on to make play and to make campaign mileage, well, that's what you do when you're in a campaign. Um, If you think it's cynical, you think it's cynical. You mightn't have too much regard for politicians then because that's what they do. But the the fact of the matter is what he's saying is true. A weak president has come in the form of Joe Biden and the world has gone about claiming territory. And claiming territory where that, without any fear that the United States will prosecute it. That's exactly what's occurred because he is weak. Um, he says, three years ago, Iran was weak, broke, and totally under control. Thanks to my maximum pressure policy, the Iranian regime could barely scrape $2 together to fund their terrorist proxies, he's added. The Republican frontrunner accused Biden of giving Iran billions of dollars which he said had been used by Tehran to spread bloodshed and carnage throughout the Middle East. Uh, Any kind of concession to Iran is never a good thing. They lie, particularly at the moment about their nuclear capabilities. Uh, They lie about what they're up to in terms of their terrorist cells and what's happening uh, against certain enemies of the regime in Europe. They lie consistently on that score. They can't be trusted. And why we were helping him during COVID, I've got no idea. Um, Trump also said this attack would never have happened if I was president, not even a chance, just like the Iranian-backed Hamas attack on Israel would never have happened. The war in Ukraine would never have happened, he said, and we would right now have peace throughout the world. Instead, he said, we are on the brink of World War Three. Now, a controversial Australian businessman has been charged with assault and harassment in New York, which is the latest twist in an extraordinary saga stemming from the demise of his startup empire. You may have heard about this fellow. His name is David Collard. Scale Facilitation founder David Collard was arrested at 1.30am on November 15 last year with court records detailing allegations that he punched another man in the face, causing a laceration to the right side of the face and substantial pain. Mr Collard was hit with five charges, including two counts of assault in the third degree, and pleaded not guilty to all of them when he was uh, arraigned on December 4. He was arrested a week before his business, 
Senate X was placed into liquidation by the Supreme Court of Victoria following months of claims from staff and suppliers that they were not paid millions of dollars. In a statement, Mr Collard said the incident transpired as a consequence of my endeavours to ensure the safety of a friend and myself. On the specific evening, I was contacted by a female friend experiencing harassment, he said. Confronting the individual, an altercation ensued to his aggressive behaviour. In self-defence, I took appropriate measures. The 39-year-old is due to face trial over the allegations, first reported by the Open Politics website in the New York Criminal Court next month. That is Mr Collard. He'll be spending some time, no doubt, in New York trying to defend himself, all right? This is Chris Smith on TNT. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, he's on at a new time, but it's the same show on the same network for 2024, and we look forward to all of that. He's an independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament. He's in the Upper House, is the way we call it in Australia. He's an MLC, the member or a member of the Legislative Council. Mark Latham, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for having me and uh, all the best to you and your listeners. Thank you very much and thank you uh, for a year. Just, just in global terms, you've got, you know, you've got some work to do in the Upper House and in the State of New South Wales. How do you think 2024 will pan out for you? Well, hopefully uh, holding the Minns government to account. Um, one of the main problems with them, of course, is they've been a do-nothing government. There's no great legislative program, no reform initiatives that make any difference in the education, health and transport sectors, which are the main responsibilities of New South Wales government. You can throw in the police as well. So um, Chris Minns is a very cautious, even conservative sort of person, timid, um, and he hasn't really got much of a vision for New South Wales. Their one big initiative, of course, is uh, increased housing supply to do something about the housing affordability crisis. So I think it's important to hold them to account there and make sure that if there are local government authorities, mainly in the northern and eastern suburbs of Sydney, that aren't pulling their weight in terms of meeting housing supply targets, that the government takes away their planning powers and steps in to make sure that young people have, have, have got accommodation. Yeah, there's a bit of a class divide when it comes to housing of uh, housing zoning and rezoning because some of these councils think they're above having high densities and uh, this is only for the western suburbs and the northern suburbs uh, or the southern suburbs. Uh, that's got to stop. Oh, absolutely. If you fly into Sydney, you can just see how flat the North Shore and the eastern suburbs of Sydney actually are. Sydney's an unusual city because it is so flat. The densities are very, very low, probably only comparable to Los Angeles. And uh, Sydney has other geographic limits because of the river and national park system. So really the only place it can go now is up. And Minza said that. Uh, they want apartment developments uh, to make sure that there's increased housing supply that um, naturally brings down the um, cost of housing and adds to the affordability for the next generation. So, you know, that's pretty important stuff. And uh, the upper house is there to make sure that Minns is true to his word. Just on Chris Minns, the Premier, he's had something to say about the bizarre appearance over the Australia Day long weekend of these neo-Nazis in black balaclavas and black clothing. The most bizarre thing I think I've ever seen on Australia Day. Um, 
uh, I guess, firstly, before we talk about what Mins wants to do, which is demask them, um, apparently some of the some of the uh, stories I've read seem to indicate that they have come from Victoria. Many of these people have come from Victoria, um, and they've had their own, um, you know, uh, problems with neo Nazis at various protest meetings. What is this all about? And I know people have you know a free speech ability and a democratic ability to express their feelings, but at this time in particular, boy, oh boy, it's a low, low blow to a lot of Jewish people in this country. Uh, yeah, it is, and it's inappropriate on Australia Day, but uh, the bottom line, do we know what they're actually planning to do? And there's a report mm. that the New South Wales Police knew about this days in advance. Uh, so I'm not too sure they were going to get very far. The police intercepted them. Uh, there's been no official report I've seen as to what they were planning to do. I suppose they were going to go to the inv so-called Invasion Day march, weren't they, and be disruptive. Uh, as for what you do about them, it, it obviously can't be illegal in our society to walk around with a, a, a black um, cover over your head. Uh, I think most people treat these people as they should be treated, and that's as uh, pathetic clowns yeah. that are just troublemakers for the sake of trouble. Uh, mm. So the police did the right thing. If they come from Victoria, send them packing down there and hopefully we won't see them again. Then what about Minza's suggestion? We should demask them, which sounds rather bizarre. Well, it does, doesn't it? What, what, uh, you know, what, is, what does that mean? That anyone who walks around with a, a cover over their face is going to have it taken off? Well, you know, there's a certain religion that does that in numbers in Sydney. That's not appropriate to touch them. I just think demasking is a bit of a PR stunt, isn't it? To make it look like he's doing something. The main thing is... Whoever they were, whatever they were up to, they were intercepted at the train station and the police sent them packing. Uh, yeah. So that's a good thing. It's good that the police had the intelligence days in advance to know what these idiots were up to, and one assumes that they wouldn't try it again. Yeah. Let's talk nationally. Let's go from one Labor leader, one in New South Wales, to the Labor leader in the federal parliament, which, of course, is Anthony Albanese. You know, there's one thing about football contests and grand finals and Australian Open contests is when they start booing the Prime Minister, you know he's on the nose. Have a listen to what happened last night at the Australian Open final. The Australian Prime Minister, the Honourable Anthony Albanese. The Deputy Victorian Premier, the Honourable Ben Carroll. It's a great barometer, that stuff, isn't it? Well, it is. I know there's a tradition in Australia, politicians get booed at sporting events, but not to that extent. And I think you can put it down to the broken promise on the stage three tax cuts. Um, I've been amazed at some of the so-called media commentary out there, Sean Kelly, David Crow and others sort of making out that a broken promise doesn't matter. We've well, only got to go back to the last Labor government, the Gillard government, to realise she absolutely destroyed herself uh, yeah. with the broken promise that there'd never be a carbon tax. And people can say, oh, well, you know, there's general cynicism. Nobody expects politicians to keep their promises. I think in the public's mind, the need for honesty and integrity and keeping your promises is sharper and stronger than it's ever been because people are really, really desperate for someone who's true to their word. And, and for the and, 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 and and in many ways, Mark, that was what brought down Tony Abbott. Well, I suppose so as well. It brought down the Liberal Party because they, they said Tony Abbott would be their Prime Minister and they moved to Malcolm Turnbull. So it's hurt both sides of politics in, in so many different respects. And Albanese had a bad year last year because of The Voice, which was a complete waste of money, time and effort. 
and humiliated him in the public result. To start the new year, to think you kick-start your agenda by breaking a solemn promise made scores of times that they wouldn't touch those stage three tax cuts just makes Albanese now, he's put himself in a position where no Australian can think this guy is being honest with me, that I can believe what he's saying. I was reminded earlier today, because this goes back a fair way, in my book The Latham Diary, Simon Crean, the former Labor leader, described Albanese as an habitual liar. And that's how he now looks to the Australian people. So anyone who thinks broken promises don't matter is completely delusional. And I think that sharp booing at the tennis in Melbourne, uh, you know, a left-wing city, um, by and large with an audience there that are probably Labor voters, I think it tells you a lot about the damage Albanese has caused to himself because he can't be true to his word. I think you're right, not to mention the fact that he was going to drive down power prices, which we knew was a lie, but a lot of people had some faith in the party that they could produce something, but they didn't. And, And it just shows you, it just shows you why during 2023, Mark, nothing was done to help us with cost of living crisis issues because they were always earmarking stage three tax cuts so they could do something for cost of living and use them. Well, I think that's true. Jim Chalmers has said that uh, they started to do the firm work on this around Christmas time, meaning that right through January when Albanese was saying that uh, the policy wouldn't be changed, he was lying to the Australian people. And it does build on other broken promises. No one's going to get the $275 power bill cut. That was never going to happen. Uh, So there are other damaging broken promises out there. And, and, And when the people look at the Prime Minister and think, I can't take him at his word. Well, I think you're pretty well finished and you saw that at the tennis last night. Yeah, that was the barometer. What about these tax cuts, these spread over the so-called middle class and those earning less than $180,000? Will it add to inflation? Well, anything that stimulates the economy, like a tax cut, does um, put upward pressure on prices. But I think the bigger thing about the Morrison-Frydenberg plan was that it was a big boost to economic growth because it was going to give people two important incentives. Young people stay in Australia because we're going to tax the pants off you. And secondly, all Australians working here work harder, work more overtime, set up a business, you go for it because you won't be taxed as much. And Australia does have a very punitive, high-taxing regime uh, compared to other countries around the world. And the idea that Morrison had, Scott Morrison, of between 45 and 200,000, nobody would pay more than 30 cents in the dollar marginal tax rate was uh, the biggest tax reform we've seen in a long while and it was a tremendous boost to economic growth and incentive. What Albanese's done in keeping the 37.5 cents rate in the system, uh, that's the best friend ever for bracket creep where if you do work harder and you earn extra money you go into that higher bracket and the government takes more off you and that's why over a decade under the Labor plan people will actually be worse off because of the insidious impact of, of bracket creep. So the Albanese plan really goes back to, I suppose, Labor's and Albanese's basic left-wing instinct that people who work hard and earn a fair bit of money uh, don't deserve to keep it. And, I and just my tip is attitude. that when he goes on his Australian middle-class tour to various regional areas and cities this week, he is going to cop a little more than what he expects. Yeah, I think people are very, very angry about this. Um, because the promise was made repeatedly and the breaking of the promise is just so brazen. I mean, there's scores of times that every Labor spokesperson said they weren't going to touch those cuts. And if they'd 
said what they were going to do at the time of the last election, they mightn't even be in government. So it's very deceitful. It is the mother of all broken promises. Uh, in the number of times the promises were made, it's worse than Gillard's carbon tax deceit, and that tells you everything you need to know. I, you know, I, I think I said last year I didn't think Labor had a logical replacement for Albanese waiting in the wings, but uh, I think when they start to look at some of the opinion polls that come out and how he's destroyed his public standing, uh, they're going to have to look around and find someone that the public could, could regard as you know, reasonably honest and have reasonable integrity. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that might be the case too. We'll take a quick break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes with you. I want to talk about this. Defence analyst is now suggesting that we should be bringing in conscription to Australia uh, as we had in previous years. And, uh, of course, that backs on to what we heard from the Chief of Army in England, uh, in the UK last week, saying a similar thing. We'll talk about that with Mark L Mark Latham right after a break on TNT. TNT. Sonia Porton. You feel the need to describe yourself, along with being a useless eater, free speech isn't a phobia, as a male with a penis. Why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such? Well, you never know these days, do you? Anyone can have a penis, apparently. So just thought you better make sure everybody knows. And that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack? No. There's no such thing. There was, there was literally no such thing until a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion. It's not mine. And I refuse to get involved with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. Listen! Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Well, a lot of my UK listeners were sending me messages last week to discuss the idea of conscription and the possibility, according to the Defence Secretary in the UK, that there could be war around the track within the next five years with Russia. Well, we're now hearing that a defence analyst claims that Australia must seriously consider reintroducing conscription to boost its troop numbers in the face of a looming all-out war with Russia. Dr Alexei Muraviv, Associate Professor of National Security and Strategic Studies at Curtin University, says rapidly rising global tensions in Eastern Europe and the Middle East threaten to drag Australia into an orbit of an open confrontation. The head of the British Defence Force made similar comments last week 
I don't know what's going on here. Are they they're willing it to happen? Um, this you know this war with Russia, which the world doesn't need. No one needs it. Russia certainly doesn't need it. Um, and conscription, aren't we over that uh, that concept, Mark? Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. I think what the academic is saying is complete nonsense on a couple of fronts. One <clears throat> one is that we haven't had conscription in Australia for over 50 years now, since the time of the Vietnam War. Mm. Uh, and the second aspect is we found out a lot about Russia's military capacity in recent times, and essentially they can't knock over the Ukraine. So Putin has been uh, humiliated in that regard. When Russia invaded the Ukraine, or tried to, there was an expectation it'd be all over within a couple of weeks with the might of Russian military power, but it's not so mighty. Uh, He's had to fight off an internal coup. There's no sign of that conflict ending. So it's very unlikely that Putin can have any threat on a global scale if he can't even invade and occupy the Ukraine within the space of a couple of years. So um, I just think this is um, uh, hysteria uh, with regard to, to, to Russia, which is much, much diminished in terms of its uh, military threat. And with regard to the Middle East, of course, the Hamas attacks in October, the terrorist attacks were dreadful and there needed to be an Israeli response. But there's always instability. You know, the, the instability in the Middle East is inbuilt because of the mere presence of the Jewish state of Israel. Um, which which I thoroughly support. So I don't think we need to overreact. And the best defence strategy for Australia is to keep an eye out on our part of the world. China is the main game, a much bigger and important issue than anything that's happening in the Middle East or Russia. And uh, the AUKUS initiative of the Morrison government, which Albanese has maintained, is the best policy we have in that regard. So no need to panic. Uh, stay steady with AUKUS and building up Australia's military capacity in case something happens with China. Yeah, and I hate the idea that a country would force its citizens to get into a uniform and hang on to a, a gun when they don't want to. Uh, I, I just think we're, you know, in terms of democracy and free speech, we're over all of that. Well, it's how wars used to be fought with, you know, trench lines and, and, and thousands of soldiers um, um, marching and running into the, the line of bullets. But modern warfare is more about uh, high-tech hardware, equipment, yeah. and that's where Australia needs to invest its money. There's no need for conscription. A yeah. couple of quick ones. Retired New South Wales teachers are being enticed to come back to school. Um, this shortage must have the potential to hurt educational standards, but, of course, it's their own fault, Mark, because they made those mandates applicable to all teachers uh, on COVID vaccines? Well, they did, and they lost a lot of teachers at that point, but there's also a longer-term problem that's been going for 50 years, really, and that is that both sides of New South Wales politics have traded away um, what would have been a pay increase for soft working conditions for teachers. And I think there's a former Premier who even said, oh, it's like a sheltered workshop, the conditions they've got. Anyone who goes and looks at the industrial award for New South Wales teachers will be shocked at the number of soft concessions that have been made for their benefit. Now, that is the direct work of the Teachers' Federation. Mm. So the only way you'll get our best and brightest young people coming into teaching and filling the uh, gaps in vacant classrooms is if you treat it as a proper, proper profession where people have pay for performance, the best teachers should be rewarded. Those who have poor performance need to be moved on. And you put greater emphasis on financial rewards for capable people 
than very soft, ridiculous working conditions. So the Teachers' Federation is to blame over 50 years. Labor's in their pocket, of course, including the current government. And as for the former coalition government over 12 years, they were too scared to take on the Teachers' Federation. Did nothing about it. So it's a long-standing problem, and it's no surprise that uh, they're at the desperate point of bringing people out of retirement. It It doesn't sound very encouraging for the future education of your children, does it? No. You're exactly right. It's it's an entire culture that needs to be transformed. A culture of time spent in the service is how you get promotion, uh, irrespective of how good you are as a teacher or not, or what sort of results your students are getting. It just doesn't make sense. And it's so far removed from the real world, Mark. Oh, absolutely. I'm much more interested in getting the best HSC performers to go into teaching and, and get them a good, solid, evidence-based university degree in education, but I am bringing back retired teachers who may well have been time servers, just drifting into retirement, not really doing much in the classroom, not having their performance measured, no one really knowing what they're up to, and to bring them back really is an act of desperation. Mm. All right, I've left the best to last as cricket, avid cricket followers as we are. I was astounded to see Australia lose against the West Indies. Maybe I'm the only fan of the Australian side that is worried by the fact that they lost. Everyone seems to say, oh, how wonderful it is for the West Indies. Well, that's fine. I'm not a West Indian. I'm on the Australian side. And I thought Australia could have won that with 10 or 20, 20 runs to get if uh, if Steve Smith had a hog the strike, uh, as you should do when you're number one and the bloke you're batting with is number 11. Yeah, farming the strike has gone out of fashion now and he left Hazelwood exposed for two deliveries to the very good West Indian new fast bowler, Joseph. And, of course, um, Hazelwood was knocked over and we lost by eight runs. So I'm, I'm with you, Chris. I never like to see an Australian side lose. But I think the reaction of this comes down to Australians do like an underdog and this West Indian team were written off completely when they came to Australia. No one thought they had any chance of being competitive. Everyone thought these would be test matches all over within two days. And the second thing is that um, it's good for world cricket. You know, world cricket hasn't got a lot of strong teams at the moment. There's probably only four, including Australia, also England, India, South Africa. So to have the West Indies back competitive, and they were the the giants of the 1990s, Mm. um, it is good for world cricket. And you've got to say the new experimental Australian batting lineup lost the match, didn't it? Um, At no stage did they look like they could get on top of the West Indian attack and they were really substandard. I don't think um, Cameron Green is a test match batsman. Travis no. Head got a king pair. How, how often do you see that? Manus Labashan is well out of form. Yeah. Um, the lower order, you know, folded. So, yeah, I think we've got problems with the batting lineup and the, the, that excellent new West Indian fast bowler really exploited it, and, and what, a, what a great spectacle that was, I suppose. Um, you know, we're all hurt by Australia losing. But to see a young fella come through and, 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 and perform at that level was amazing. When he couldn't even walk, um, you know, 12 hours before, it's just amazing. Oh, must, one I quick one. What I don't like either are these two it. test series. What is a two test series? How useless is a two test series? Well, it was useless on the basis we were going to flog them in both tests. That's why it was two tests. The expectation that there'd only be four days of, of test cricket between the two matches. So they didn't yeah. want a third one, thinking that it would be a 3 nil whitewash. As it turns out, it would have been better to play three tests against the West Indies and two against Pakistan. So, mm. but, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, I suppose. But anyway, look, the West Indies may well be back, and if it encourages a new generation of 
West Indian fast bowlers like you and me who can remember Roberts and Holding and Garner and Patrick Patterson and 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 and, and those sorts of bowlers. Well, watch Curtly out, Ambrose. watch out in the future. Yep, yep. All right. Mate, fantastic to have you on, um, and uh, we appreciate your time today, but in particular we appreciate the fact that we're going to hear from you on a Monday in 2024. We look forward to it. So do I. Thanks very much, Chris, and we'll talk next Monday. Good on you, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Independent Cheers. MLC in the New South Wales Parliament. Mark Latham, um, who doesn't pull any punches, as you know, for those who know him. And if you're from outside of Australia and uh, you like listening to someone who has a pretty good grasp on global affairs and understands his American politics um, like um, like a pro, um, he's a man to listen to. No matter where you're from, we'll have him on Mondays on this program and we look forward to that. Let's get to the newsroom and talk news on TNT. All right, let's get this underway. For our first order of business, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. The US has vowed revenge after several of its soldiers were killed and dozens more wounded in a drone strike in the Middle East. Israel has rejected Friday's ruling by the International Court of Justice and vowed to continue its brutal bombardment of Gaza in the name of self-defence. And North Korea has fired several cruise missiles into waters off its east coast amid increasing tensions with the US, South Korea and Japan. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Just a couple of quick comments from our chat box, which, of course, you can participate in on TNTradio.live. And a lot of people do. We've got comments here from Pelly69. Pelly69 says, I hope Albo choked on his beer or Magnum when he heard all of that booing. The quicker we get rid of him, the better. He is a downright liar and nothing more. That's the sentiment out there, which is why he copped the booing the way he did last night at the Australian Open final. Um, another one here. Good to see the woke pussies in the Australian cricket team lose to the Windies. Shove that up, you cricket Australia and woke Paddy Cummins. Yeah, there's a bit of pushback on the way Paddy performs as captain off the field. But anyway, I'll leave that to those of you who uh, find that uncomfortable. I just think he should stick to cricket and nothing else. From Washington, the US Federal Trade Commission is proposing to investigate the growing race among the biggest technology companies in the world to produce and commercialise artificial intelligence. Isn't this an area of Unknown realm. Uh, the agency has issued orders seeking information about AI investments to Microsoft, OpenAI, Amazon, Anthropic and Alphabet, the whole kit and caboodle. FTC Chair Lena Khan has expressed concern about whether dominant technology firms would quickly command the growing field of generative AI systems that have human-like abilities to converse, create media, write computer code and more. The agency said it would use its study to probe the company's investments and partnerships and how they affect the competitive landscape for AI. As I've said time and time again, we can try and regulate this area of technology, but nothing will stop 
its growth in that particular technological segment. It'll be uh, something that we'll either love or we'll hate. You know, in terms of productivity, we'll love it. In terms of the scammers with AI-capable um, systems at their disposal, it'll create a nightmare, but I can't see how regulation is going to control it all. All right. I'm going to get to a friend of mine who's just um, right across this issue, and it's an issue that we've brought you on at least six occasions on this program. You may recall the decision last year to cull feral horses or brumbies, which roam wild in the Snowy Mountains region of New South Wales. The decision was made by the New South Wales Labor government to shoot the animals from the air, from helicopters, and locals in the Kosciuszko National Park were angry on a number of fronts, and we'll get to that shortly. Well, the latest on this environmental controversy is that green advocates say the government is failing to meet its promise to control feral horses after numbers allegedly increased by more than 4,000 in the past two years. How does a herd of Brumbies increase by 4,000 in two years? Maybe I don't know this area as much as I think I do. Based on surveys conducted in November, run by government, of course, the government estimates numbers have grown to 18,814, up by 4,000 from 2020. Now, the plan is to reduce the number of horses in the park to 3,000 by 2027. So they've got a lot of culling to do. Former National Party MP and local ecotourism business leader in the park, Peter Cochran, is the man I go to on this issue, and he's on the line now. Peter Cochran, welcome to TNT. Happy New Year to you. Good afternoon, Chris, and Happy New Year to you. Firstly, what have you observed on the ground and what have those in the park observed on the ground as this cull continues? Chris, I, I operate a commercial horse trekking business up at the Kosciuszko National Park six months of the year during the summer. And uh, we were confronted this year in the operation of our business with rotting carcasses and uh, the, the death of, in one day, 70 horses we found on tracks that we use. It was devastating to the business, devastating to us, and heartbreaking for all of the people, uh, particularly children and, and people that go and see these horses because they love them. Uh, they're just absolutely destroyed. And uh, so that's what we were confronted with this year. And uh, it's ongoing. And uh, as you know, and as we've reported on this show of yours before, that uh, it's about the numbers in the park and the the construction of figures, the concoction of figures by the National Parks and Wildlife Service and, and a Dr Cairns who produced a formula uh, to count the horses. And this has been deliberately distorted to vastly exaggerate the numbers of horses in the park so that they can go ahead with this 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 tragic kill and it's it's a massacre uh they're just blasting away seven shots per horse from an aerial cull i mean i'm ex-army i spent some time in vietnam and if you need seven shots to kill anything the chris there's something tragically wrong with the operation of the business but but this is what is confronted with people going into the kosciuszko national park the northern end uh, there is no excuse for it. I don't give a damn who the government is, left or right, centre, whatever it is, there is no excuse for the massacre that's taken place in Kosciuszko National Park. And it is the numbers now which is the issue. And tragically, again, the, the locals, because they dispute the numbers, I mean, 18,000 is an outrageously exaggerated number. 3,000 is, is the mandated number that the National Parks and Wildlife Service have to work under, mm. according to the legislation. So <clears throat> they're working towards that, that, that 3,000 bigger. We believe there is less than 3,000 in the park now. So 
what the locals have done uh, is organised through a GoFundMe program. Uh, a, a local fellow uh, who's uh, very enthusiastic about getting accurate numbers and actually conforming with legislation has raised seventy-five thousand dollars through a GoFundMe. <clears throat> there is now, wow. and, and I mean, this is mums and dads. Uh, Chris, this is people who <clears throat> can probably least afford it are giving their ten dollars, twenty dollars, whatever it might be. And this is heartbreaking stuff when you think this is because a government can't be honest. That's what it's about, a government that can't be honest. If they gave us an honest count, an accurate count, there would be no dispute. The legislation is in place. It's been in place for six years. And they can operate under the legislation legitimately. And people understand that there is a management plan in place. There is a need to reduce the, the horse numbers. And, and that's been agreed to in the parliament to reduce to 3,000. Everybody conforms with that. But what's happened is there's anarchy involved. National Parks and Wildlife Service and the, the state government refuse to comply with the legislation. Now there's internal dispute where we've got a fellow who's become involved in the in the fundraising part. This fellow has been described as a psychopath, all sorts of things that he's been described as, who's doing live um, uh, programs of an afternoon, up to two hours, a live blog going direct to air, which he gets paid for, by the way. And he's now defaming people who are involved in the fundraising. He's defaming people like myself. Nicole Overall, the former MP for Monero, he has absolutely described the most vile behaviour and, and described her in the most vile terms, yet this fellow gets away with it. And the point that I'm... So, so hang on a second. Hang on. Let, let's first of all find out who this fellow is and... and, and Tell, tell us the name of the fellow. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. And he's been vile to members of your group because he doesn't want uh, someone else trying to count those horses? That's, what, that's what's going on, uh, Chris. This fellow has a history of this. And if you remember the Claire Nowland uh, incident in Cooma where she was tragically tasered uh, by Cooma police and, and died, a 90-year-old woman. I mean, this was a tragic case. And Andrew Taylor set himself up as a community advocate on behalf of the family with no authority whatsoever. And he was referred to on a, on a radio, city radio station as a, as a serial pest or uh -huh. something of that nature. And, and it was an accurate description. And what I would say is that, that the issue here is that there is no legislation in place. There is no law which prevents this fellow from doing this. He's, he's, despite the fact that he's defaming us, none of us have got enough money to take on a defamation case. We saw what happened to Ben Robert Smith. So yeah. We're not going to get involved in that. So it is the responsibility of the police in New South Wales to keep people safe. We don't feel safe at the moment with this fellow on the loose. I mean, he turned up at a meeting on Saturday, then went and visited Rocky Harvey, who was the instigator of this fundraising program, uh, went and visited him. There was an altercation. There was violence in the air, no question of it. The videos proved the violence. He was he was uh, encouraging uh, Rocky to have a go at him. Come on, mate. Come on, have a go sort of thing, you know. This sort of thing can't go on, Chris. We live in a civilised society, and there is no law to protect the people in the society from this type of behaviour. So when you say that he's doing these blogs of an afternoon, yeah. which is pro-culling the Brumbies, who's paying for, for that? 
But what he does, he gets on his phone up in a paddock in the back of his house somewhere, and he goes live to air with his with his mobile, and he, he picks the mobile up, and he's doing this sort of thing, talking into it, and going live to air, and and defaming people all over the place. I mean, it's not only uh, Nicole overall, it's but also been uh, the mayor Narelle Davis of Coomera, it's been myself and my family, other people's family. Um, you know, Andrew Wildsmith, who's a member of the Indigenous community down there who works for me. Uh, there's been a whole string of people and a very valued real estate agent has been impugned in this as well. I mean, this fellow has no limits. There are no boundaries. There are no filters. He will attack anybody. And, and, and I'm calling on the New South Wales police and the New South Wales government to implement a law now, not not in 12 months' time, there is, there is, and the Kuma police have admitted to me they have no jurisdiction over the actions of this man, but he's caused so much grief in the community over a period of time that he needs to be brought to heel. This cretin does need to be brought to heel. Uh, if he is abusive using a social media platform, there are rules in place, there are federal laws at the very least that could see him charged. Not, not that we know of, Chris, at this stage. What we do know is there is an e-commissioner, as you'd be aware of, an e-commissioner, safety commissioner, and from what we can gather, and Nicole overall has done some investigation of this, it has no teeth. It's a toothless, toothless tiger. Right. It's very definitive in the scope of its of its legislation, so uh, it, it's no use to us. What we what we need is legislation that the police, a tool that police can use to bring this this fellow to heel and and certainly make conform with the civility you know the civilities of life that we all expect to live by and uh and he's not doing that and you know interestingly um i i've heard in the wee hours of this morning on, a, on another radio station uh somebody talking about uh the way this um sort of action and and social media has impacted on the likes of the um, uh, the, the various court cases, in, including um, not, not only Claire now, and I'm just trying to look at the notes I've written down here now, but, uh, you know, where, where evidence that is, is gained through social media reports um, yep. and, and the like, and it's, it's almost useless in, um, in, uh, in the, when it gets into the courtroom. And, right. uh, so there is no legislation available at the moment uh, which will provide for uh, the use of social media to engage a case against an individual such as Andrew Thaler. Yeah. And well, you know, what we really need is is the likes of, of Steve Wan to, to get out of his cave and come out and support his community and come up with some legislation and at least a proposal and engage with the community and understand what's going on because it's rife. Uh, Chris, this thing, this thing is rife amongst the community. There's a lot of anger out there. And sooner or later, somebody's going to get hurt. It'll be either be Andrew Thaler or it'll be one of the community because there are people in the community now who are fearful for their lives with this fellow on the loose. Well, I heard that over the weekend that a letter threatening to firebomb a New South Wales National Parks office in the Snowy Mountains region was sent to police over the culling of feral horses. Now, that makes you people look bad. That indicates to me that maybe someone from the pro-culling area may have planted this. Well, Chris, what I can say is those allegations have been flying about now for about five years, and particularly that one. Uh, that's not the first time I've heard that, actually. So it's five years old, I think, from where it came from. Right. But what I can say is that 
Nowhere at any time has National Parks and Wildlife Service preferred any charges against any of these people who are supposedly threatening National Parks and Wildlife Service officers. Right. There have been all sorts of allegations made by the minister, by others, uh, who claim that these threats have been made, but not one person, not one person has been charged. No evidence has been produced. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a beat up. Yeah. If they've got evidence to say that somebody's been threatened with death or whatever, then for goodness sake, bring the evidence forward, go to the police, charge the people and get on with it because we don't want to see that either. The Brumby supporters don't want to see any of that sort of nonsense going on either. We want a peaceful existence. We want the legislation to be put in place. We want the Brumbies to be counted and we want to get on with our lives. So if you've raised that sort of money, you're very close to initiating your own count, which could embarrass the Labor government, right? That's precisely what we're doing, Chris. We, uh, the and and you know, Rocky, uh, who set this up in the first place, has shown a lot of courage in the community and 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 others with him that have been working on this case for quite some time in taking this issue on. And and again, I would say to the local member Steve Wan, where the hell are you? Where's Wan? I mean, come up and 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 join us and try and establish the correct numbers. Put your hand in your pocket and maybe throw a dollar into it and help us out with it because. If we've got to pay for this ourselves and the mums and dads of the Monero and Stone Mountains have got to pay for an aerial survey to find out how dishonest the New South Wales government is, well, let's bring it on. Let's bring it on. Let's have the count. Let's get it done. And if they're dishonest, then this will be be, uh, pointed out to, to all of those who are involved, particularly the legislators. Yeah, well done. Great stuff. A great way to solve, not solve the problem, but certainly embarrass those that are pushing it through unfairly. Uh, Peter Cochran, great to catch up again, and um, I uh, I hope your tours are going well. People are still coming to that area of the world, right? They are, they are, Chris, and uh, it's a beautiful part of the country. Uh, we love it. We we go out there almost every week, riding out in the mountains, and it's absolutely sensational. Uh, the, the one thing that is, you know, that turns people off at the moment, and it, it is the fact that there is brumbies being culled up there, and National Parks and Wildlife Service. Um, have to take heed from the locals. I mean, there's kids go up there, there's mums and dads go up there, there's fly fishermen, it's just not horse riders, there's people that go up there riding push bikes. School groups go up there. Yeah. And they, the last thing they want to be doing is wandering around amongst rotting carcasses and uh, that are drifting into the waterways, which incidentally go into Canberra water supply. Yeah, very true. Good to have you on the program, Peter. Keep in touch. All the very best. Thanks, Chris. Good luck. Good on you. Former National Party MP in the state of New South Wales down there in the Kosciuszko National Park, Peter Cochran, the bushy. We'll take a break and uh, quite happy to take your calls. We've got room for those calls from the US or Canada, 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT. I said... Could she die? And the doctor said she could. It was so scary. When I started clawing at my neck and trying to breathe and I thought, you know, what are we going to do if I die here? (laughs) How's everyone going to go on? When someone's gravely sick or injured in the bush, they rely on the Royal Flying Doctor service. But now the Flying Doctor needs your help to fund vital medical equipment and supplies. 
please search Flying Doctor online to give a regular gift of just $10. You can help equip the Flying Doctor's teams to respond to any emergency anywhere. Search Flying Doctor online. Become a part of the Royal Flying Doctor service and help save lives in the bush. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go, but I did ask for help and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there, providing hot meals, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. To learn more, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. This is The Christmas Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I have got so much more to tell you, including EVs. I've had so much news uh, cross my desk in reference to EVs in the last three weeks. It hasn't been funny, and I'm trying to get you as much information as I possibly can on demand, um, underwhelming supply from technical problems, um, from countries that have decided that uh, EVs won't be as prolific as what they had planned. To people like uh, the chair of Toyota last week, and I brought you this story too, saying basically you won't have EVs dominate more than 30% of the vehicular market. 30%. That's not what we're told by our climate change ministers in our various countries. They all think we're all going to be driving around in EVs. Well, that is not the case from those that can make most money um, out of electric vehicles. Now, this is a um, a story from Lagrada Online. Um, it's a, it's a it's a technological online news site, basically, and it's news about BMW and EVs. According to a recent report from Information Trends, hydrogen engines are likely to become the future of automobile transportation. EVs have been the primary focus of zero emissions car manufacturers, while hydrogen vehicles were relegated to the background. Now, can I just jump in? I've spoken to the head of hydrogen vehicular research at Cambridge University in the UK on this program, and he himself, someone who gains from grants given to him to look into this possibility and the science related to it, has said that hydrogen vehicles will be virtually an impossibility in the next 50 years. That's what he has told us on this program. Now, they might pertain to trucks and we might be able to use hydrogen for aircraft, but when it comes to passenger vehicles, don't hold your breath. You won't be with us for a long time at all. That's what he says. Getting back to the story, the electric vehicle company's goal is to make them the dominant player by 2030. But it appears that hydrogen engines also want a cut of the market share. To date, around 2.5 million EVs have been sold in the United States. Meanwhile, as of mid-2022, roughly about 15,000 hydrogen cars were on US roadways, and all of them are located in California. The future of mobility and environmental friendly solutions uh, is a big thing amongst car manufacturers. And this story tells us that there are only a few selected manufacturers that are already working on this new technology, and BMW is one of them. As BMW CEO Oliver Lips, sorry, Zips, 
announced hydrogen engines will play an important role in many regions of the world in the long run. I hope he knows what he's talking about. Um, Although hydrogen is the most common element in the universe, it's never found its pure state since it generally combined with other elements. As a consequence, creating pure hydrogen for vehicles requires a great deal of energy process to break the compound, which is derived from fossil fuels like natural gas. The BMW iX5 hydrogen is one of three hydrogen-backed vehicles. The sustainable SUV concept aims to usher in a new era. Um, But as I have indicated already, don't get your hopes up about hydrogen vehicles. Don't get your hopes up about driving EVs either when the head of Toyota is telling us that only 30% of the market will um, be electric vehicles. So all of this sounds terrific until you start to get to the practical stage. Uh, the same, same applies to wind turbines. When you get to the practical stage, the reality starts to set in. We will see how this pans out and we'll see whether this is purely um trying to push the market that way as opposed to a logical scientific solution now out of sydney and out of uh, computer daily news ai will enable hackers see this is the negative part of ai that i don't think governments can stop to launch more attacks that's the current concern among nearly 50% of australian companies according to research from cybersecurity company barracuda Uh, The research also found that 70% of Australian respondents had experienced a ransomware attack over the last year, and 58% uh, had been forced to pay the ransom. Now, most authorities will say we should never pay ransom because that just entices ransomware and entices scammers to get hold of AI and hit as many people as possible. But the ransoms are being paid because they want to get that information back into their hands and safe. Responding to cyber attacks is costing Australian organisations an average of 2.7 million US dollars a year, according to Barracuda. Um, Barracuda ANZ Solutions analyst Matt Caffrey said, as cyber criminals continue to refine their tactics, the onus is on organisations to bolster their security infrastructure and governance practices. And with the support of the Australian government's ransomware action plan announced in October 2023, organisations now have a more robust strategy against evolving cyber threats. So there you have it. It's a huge concern. And I maintain that any kind of rules and regulations are not going to work out in favour of uh, the government because at the end of the day, those who want to cause mayhem and attack our systems will do so with the help of AI, whether whether there are rules and regulations in place or not. Just very quickly, a story out of the Epoch Times, Uh, Senator Roger Marshall Uh, the Republican from Kansas, has launched a thread on X to track serious crimes committed by illegal aliens under President Joe Biden's administration. The thread, which comes amid concerns over a border that critics have described as porous, will feature stories of violent crimes perpetrated by illegal aliens. Well, if law enforcement isn't going to keep tabs on whether illegal aliens into the country are committing crimes or not, Maybe it's got to be left 
to the likes of Roger Marshall, the Republican. Let's bring it on. Under the Biden administration, he says, every state has become a border state, ultimately jeopardising our national security. This is not, he told the Epoch Times, just another talking point, but the reality of Joe Biden's unprecedented border crisis. Now, so far, the thread catalogues a series of stomach-churning crimes, including child murder. This is all by recently arrived aliens, illegal aliens, child murder, sexual assault and traffic collisions. For the past three years, thousands of illegal aliens have entered our country. He says violent crime is on the rise. Well, at least someone's doing something about it and putting it in a thread so we can be exposed to the truth. I've got to get out of here. Dean Mackin is up next. We'll be back to do it at the same time tomorrow. I hope you can join us. This is Chris Smith on TNT. TNT.